It's time for Fish Facts TV. Welcome to Fish Casting, the fishing podcast. I'm your host, Tanner of Fish Facts TV. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. Captain Tim. I forgot, almost forgot there. <laughs> All right, guys, we got a good show today. Unfortunately, it is blowing in Miami, so I haven't been out to fish, but Tim's got some stories, and we actually got a bunch of questions this week and a good fish of the week. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go from there and uh, see how it goes. Tim, tell me the damage. Yeah, speaking of damage, um, you know, I just, I was so distracted there, I forgot to introduce myself properly. Um, you know, I'm, I'm about to tell a story that Tanner doesn't even know about, uh, not fishing related, but semi-outdoor related here, just to lead up to, to let the, the listeners know how crazy the week it's been already for me. Um, last night I was walking my dog and uh, I noticed a wasp nest outside my, my house. So I decided to, uh, instead of um, dispatching the wasp with a normal wasp spray, I decided to use my dog's leash as a, uh, a sword and, and swing it at the wasp nest to, to get rid of the wasp and kill him. Well, the wasp had other ideas and ended up stinging me right in the face. So uh, um, I just wanted everyone to know that dog leash is not an effective tool for dispatching uh, wasps. Just a, a PSA out there for everyone, all of our listeners who, uh, uh, you know, it's springtime and the wasps are, are getting everywhere. So just wanted to put that out there. First things first, uh, something I'm dealing with, but, uh, you know, be advised, everybody. <laughs> um, on a more serious note, I, I did get out this uh, this last weekend. So anyways, uh, there I was, ended up out at the sandbar this week, uh, as I talked about last week that I was going to do. And no surprise, it was blowing 25 knots, um, different wind this time out of the east, which is uh, kind of rare. We don't get many east winds here on this coast. So um, did, the, did the cheap thing and, and uh, actually the expensive thing. And I bought bait. I didn't feel like throwing the net and all that wind. It was a, a low tide. It was going to be a pain in the butt. Didn't want to get cold with all that wind. So I bought a scoop of bait. Uh, there's a bunch of different retailers over here that, that sell white bait to people that are lazy like me um, that, that don't want to go out and throw the net. So got a scoop of white bait, which, you know, to all of our longtime listeners and you, Tanner, you know that when I'm fishing out there at that sandbar, I prefer pinfish. So um, didn't buy pinfish, got the white bait. Um, ended up catching, I think maybe four six snook total. I had a buddy of mine out there as well. He caught the biggest snook of the day, which still wasn't really anything to write home about. Um, I think his biggest snook was about 25 inches. I did lose a really nice snook, not, not a huge snook, but man, it was a strong one. Um, probably close to 30, 32 inches right at the beach. Um, it was all but landed. I, I was just walking up the beach, just trying to pull it so I could land it on the beach and, and have a nice, easy, release and revive and um it just frayed right through my leader so oh. you, yeah using that light leader 20 pound test leader um it was a little weird this time uh, uh the snooker a little later to to respond out on the sandbar um at the beach this season um but i started seeing those bigger snook started seeing a ton of snook so um, generally how I like to fish them is I like to see them cruising up and down the beach. Um, uh, 
getting ready to, to start spawning. So they're fattening up and eating. Um, and I like to throw those pinfish at them because when I throw at them, they're in a foot, two feet of water and they swim down the pinfish do. And then the snook are able to ambush them. Um, but for some reason this time, all the snook, I, I parked in a little different area because the way the sandbar shifting, um, I wanted to get into an area where my boat was going to be in good, safe water and plenty of deep water because it's kind of shallowing out where I normally like to fish. So I parked a little bit around the corner and I was in probably four feet of water directly underneath the boat. So a little deeper than normal, but the snook just all stacked up underneath my boat. I mean, at multiple times I'm trying to fish these fish and I look over the side and there's 20, 25 snook just sitting there. So they knew what I was doing and it made it really difficult to fish them. Um, if I was standing up at the bow and I kind of cast up current, they could see me casting and they could see my profile. So I had to be really, really slick with it and, and kind of throw it out to the side um, and bring it across their face in order to get them to eat. And then you don't have a really good um, fight because you're just fighting them out from underneath the boat, just trying to get them away from the anchor line, trying to get them away from your engine. So it wasn't the most fun fishing. Um, had to use a little bit of weights to get those white baits down, which I don't like doing. I like to I like to free line my bait with snuff. Plus, even just throwing it 15 feet in that 25 mile wind, those light little white baits, it was just such a pain. We needed a little weight to get out there. So tough bite, ended up catching, um, like I said, maybe six snook in the 20 to 25 inch range, lost that real nice one. Not the biggest one ever, but man, it was a strong fish. It gave me some screaming runs and um, it was just tough to land. There was a boat right next to us when, when, I, when I hooked that one and tried to bring it in, didn't have a lot of room to work it. It wanted to run side to side. So I had to give it more pressure to keep it away from the other boat. Um, but caught a mackerel, caught a, a ladyfish, saw some manatees. And, and one thing that really probably was the most difficult part of the whole day was the dolphins. There were dolphins on top of us the entire day, just constantly chasing the snook, um, chasing the mullet schools. Once the dolphins would come around and, and pass through, you had about, a, it seemed like a 60 to 90 second window where you could actually let the fish, the snook settle and then make a nice sight cast at them. Uh, before the, the the dolphin came back and then the snook would just go in a frenzy and get the heck out of there. So really tough day. Um, the forecast is 20 to 25 knots again this Saturday as it's been the last 10 weeks in a row. So I'll probably go out, uh, out there again, bring in some pinfish this time for sure. And, and maybe get on some of those bigger snook. Well, you know, at least you got on some Tim. I mean, that's better than it's been for me lately. Now, the dolphin thing is interesting because I've never really fished anywhere where the dolphins are aggressive. Well, why is that? Do you think it seems like the Gulf, the dolphins are much more, much more prevalent. Yeah. These dolphins, uh, especially this time of year, I don't, I don't see them out there in the winter time. Um, they cruise up and down the sandbar and Bunces pass and they know that the snook are spawning up, uh, getting, getting these big congregations and, and ready to spawn. So, it's just kind of easy pickings for them. They can, they can flush them up against the beach and just grab them. I mean, obviously they're not a hundred percent successful every time, but I've definitely seen in something I'm very cognizant of. And, and this happened last year and it was just heartbreaking is, is I caught about a 30 inch snook and uh, I revived it, got it, got it nice and healthy and let it go. And before you knew it, the dolphin, I didn't see it. 
came right in streaking in and just grabbed it. So I felt, I felt bad, you know, responsible for, for contributing to the demise of that beautiful snook. But um, I'm really cognizant about uh, um, making sure that the dolphins are either turned away or like a couple hundred yards away because they are some quick animals and they're very, very smart. They definitely key into when a fish is in distress and will come right over to the boat and almost wait for the fish. So um, I, I think it's just a matter of how many snook there are in that one area that makes them super aggressive. Now, how deep is the water there? Yeah, the water where my boat was floating was in about four feet of water. And I parked in a new spot, um, but it comes up like right behind the boat within six feet of the engine, it's the beach. So it comes, it's a very sharp angle, but there's kind of a, a nice like four to five foot like swash area that, that's um, kind of like I said, four or five feet deep, depending on the tide that the snook crews up and down through and the dolphins can, can really just push them right up on the beach up on, the, on that ledge and, uh, and just grab them. So sometimes they're directly underneath your boat for the most part uh, while they're getting these uh, snooks. Yeah, that's, that's very frustrating. Uh, you know, at least you, you got those fish, but uh, losing them to the dolphins, especially in Tampa where they still haven't opened everything up yet. Um, to see something like that happen, you know, you really want to push for conservation there. And it's heartbreaking, even though it is natural. Obviously, dolphins are our primary natural predator of snook. You don't want to be responsible in making things any easier uh, when the dolphin could be eating mullet instead of eating snook. Yeah, that, that's the hard part. You know, when you bring one in and that snook is gassed and you try to get it, you know, as revived as possible. And, and you know, to our listeners out there, you know, any any fish, especially you know, these trophy fish that, you know, I hold in high regard. I try to try to get them, you know, as happy and healthy before you just let them go. You know, you, you caught the animal, you need to do a service to it if you're not going to keep it and, and make sure that it, it, it stands a fighting chance. So um, definitely take that time, even on a hot bite and, and revive those fish so they can uh, hopefully uh, out, out swim a dolphin or, or make it back to a safe, safe area so they can survive. Now, Tim, this is a little bit unrelated, but you talk about all this golf fish and I'm thinking about trying to make another trip. You know, I fish Chukaluski. Um, I've obviously fished Miami. Have you ever tried to fish Marco Island? You know, it's, it's more similar to probably the Tampa habitat, but it's a little bit closer to me coming from Miami. Yeah, uh, I don't have a lot of experience with Marco um, really at all, just north of there, you know. Um, not really just north, but, but, but a poke up, you know, uh, Estero Bay and then, um, up there, God, what, what the, what the heck's it called? Um, I'm drawing a blank now, but, but obviously, you know, um, there's plenty, the fishery there is, is awesome up, up there. There's the Ding Darling Preserve that just has everything under the sun, but that, that's still further than, than you probably want to go. But, I don't have a whole lot of experience, Marco. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, maybe either one of our listeners or there's plenty of publications or something out there if someone would help you out, but I'm not a great resource there. I, I kind of, uh, um, my expertise stops <laughs> right before there for sure. Heading yeah, south. as I said, it's it's so windy. It's, it's looking like 30 knot winds here all the way through the weekend. So I'm just trying to look at options. I was thinking about doing a Keys bridge trip um, but it's still blowing 30 in the keys because it's the east wind fishing Marco is probably going to be a lot better than fishing Miami beach. So I'm not sure, but it's about the same distance as those keys bridges. 
So I'm thinking, you know, maybe the snook will be on the beach there. Maybe there'll be bait on the beach. It's obviously kind of a risk to run all the way out there for that. But, um, you know, I really want to wet a line, and it just doesn't seem like any of my Miami options are looking too great right now. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It, it does seem like uh, this east wind, I was watching the news, it's just, it's blowing, man. You, you're getting the same wind we are, and it's just unreal. And, and very, you know, I, unseasonably out of the east, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, we should be getting, you know, that summertime pattern here, especially on this coast, and it's just not not happening it's we're in a, a severe drought and uh things are just a little funky this season that's for sure well i'm hoping uh next week i'll be able to get out and get on some mahi um i got the boat club a week from thursday and if the early predictions are right it's calling for less than 12 knot winds so this is the month of uh, late may and june is the hottest uh, mahi bite around here so uh, fingers crossed but right now I'm just plotting so on that note unless you have anything else to talk about fishing we got a bunch of questions this week um, to kind of fill the gap and uh, I guess I will start out with my question to you and then I'm going to kind of answer it myself but from your experience, how long does fish last in the freezer? Yeah, that, that's a, a highly debated question. Um, obviously, depending on, you know, how you take care of your fish and, and how uh, um, you freeze it, you know, whether it be vacuum sealing or in a Ziploc bag or in butcher paper. I'm not a great resource for it. Um, I, I love eating fish, but I like fresh fish. And something that, that I 99% of the times do is I don't keep really more fish than I can eat and that my family and friends can eat. Um, I, I try to provide friends and family with, with fresh fish whenever I can, just because it's, it's such a, um, a nice treat, you know, people love seafood and seafood is increasingly more and more expensive. So I don't freeze a lot of fish. I can't even tell you the last time I did freeze fish that wasn't bait fish. So I'm not a great resource uh, to answer that question, but I, I do freeze a lot of game meat and I know it's apples and oranges, but just the, the care and preparation you put into any of your, your meats when you freeze them, whether it be cleaning them or, and, and wrapping them or vacuum sealing them, it's going to pay dividends down the line. So the more time and effort you can pay, uh, attention to that fish and don't let it sit in the fridge for a week before you freeze it. If you know you're going to freeze it, get it frozen, get a good hard freeze on it. And, and it's going to last longer and be better. No question. But I just, I don't freeze fish. So uh, that, that's not a, not a great question for me, unfortunately. All right. So I'll give you the story. I, I think you might remember that big uh, 20 pound black grouper I caught back in September. So I froze a couple steaks from that and I have some yellow eye snapper that I froze in the fall of 2019. Um, it's been, so the way like growing up, we'd go to the Keys every summer and we'd pack up our dolphin or mahi um, and freeze those and eat them all year long. So I don't have a vacuum sealer, but what I did or what my dad always did growing up was he would fill a Ziploc bag with water and freeze it like that. So the fish is only touching the water it's not touching the, um, the air. 
So all these fish were packed like that. So it's not touching the water. Um, I think that it'll be okay. Um, I, I feel better about the grouper than the snapper, but I'm gonna probably just cook all of it and kind of roll the dice and see how it tastes. But, you know, I think it should be okay, but we're moving out um, in a couple weeks. So I, uh, I figure this is the best time to just go ahead and clear out my freezer. And if it's good, it's good. If it's not, it's not. And I will have to report back to you uh, next week on how it turns out. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think the uh, on a couple of things, I think freezing it in the water, I know a lot of people do that. And I know a lot of, you know, fish markets, if they, if they need to store fish, will do that on a, on a grand scale um, in big tubs uh, at very, very cold temperatures to make sure it freezes completely. But I, I think the, the, the coarser grain fish, like the grouper, will do a little better. Um, not only is it fresher, it's been in the freezer, you know, not nearly as long as the, um, the yellow eye snapper. But I find the finer grain fish, the snappers and things like that tend to get mushy a little bit um, after they've been frozen. So, yeah, I look forward to, to hearing uh, how it goes. I, I think I think you're in the clear. I don't think there's anything wrong with with eating frozen fish. It just may be a little on the softer, mushy side and, and have a little fishier taste than it normally would. Yeah, you know, I, I guess that's something uh, that I'll, I'll have to find out. Um, I obviously don't eat a lot of fish, but uh, that grouper especially was so big. And the day I caught that yellow eye, you know, I caught like four yellow eyes and a mutton and it was just, you know, both days I kept a lot of fish and didn't have anybody to get, get it to, ate it a couple times shortly after and then ended up freezing it. So, uh, you know, I guess that's one of the things if you have a really good fishing day, sometimes you get those leftovers and, uh, you know, whenever I need fish, I just usually catch more. And that's why those in the freezer have kind of gotten overlooked. Yeah, I, I like to eat fish, but I can only eat it three or four times a week. So um, when I have fresh fish, so that, you know, I get, I get burnt out on it. I like a little variety. All right, let's move on to our next question. Um, and this is from Fishing with the Sauce. He's always uh, sends us good questions. What is your favorite Keys bridge to fish from? Oh, okay. That that's a uh, like like a lot of our questions. They're they're uh, they can they're a little tricky sometimes. Um, I'd say from a boat, and I won't go into it because I I think that uh, Fishing with Sauce is is wanting to know. Um, probably off, off the bridge itself. Um, and I don't, I think, I think Tanner and I both are going to have more boat based spots, but if it was a boat, I'd say Bahia Honda for tarpon. It's just such a hot spot and they just cruise through there and it's just such an awesome fishery. But, um, I'm going to kind of go a little weird here and it's not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's really a popular bridge, but the Boca Chica bridge, it's all the way down. Um, it's like the second to the last bridge before Key West. Uh, I like it because there's a good nighttime fishery down there. Uh, the way the lights go, it casts a shadow that fish like to ambush along that shadow line. There's a bike path. It's not a super tall bridge. You can fish off the bike path. And I don't find that it's very popular, especially at night. You can catch snapper, you can catch grouper, you can catch tarpon, really anything under the sun. Um, a lot of current. I like a lot of current. Not everyone does, but 
Um, I, I find it to be a productive spot. I, I don't do a lot of bridge fishing in the Keys and, and I've only fished there a couple times, but it was one of those that the fishing's great every time I've been there, lots of life, lots going on. So um, that I would say, I would say Boca Chica Bridge for me. How about you, Tanner? Uh, so for me, uh, you know, I didn't start the shore bridge fishing until just a couple months ago, but I've been fishing the bridges in the Keys from boats all my life. So some of the best fishing I've ever done has been in a boat on the Seven Mile Bridge, catching schoolmaster, mangrove, yellowtail, um, dog, muttons, you know, all sorts of snapper you know, I caught my biggest tarpon was off the seven mile bridge. And the thing about the seven mile bridge is, is there are catwalks. Now the main catwalk on the marathon side, I believe is still closed. It's been closed for, for several years, but the catwalk on the South side is reopened. Now, the thing is, I, I know our typical Miami group, um, is probably not going to want to drive because that's a, probably a whole nother 45 minutes from the big three of channel two, channel five and long key, you know, you're going to have to continue down um, a good bit. But um, from my perspective, I always prefer the seven mile bridge from a boat. Now from shore, I, I just don't think I have enough experience. You know, a it's become a very popular fishery among the YouTube guys. I've been seeing people out on all three channel two, channel five and long key, um, I obviously had a good day for mackerel fishing channel two. It seems like channel two also has a lot more snappers gotten keeper snappers off channel two still haven't gotten to channel five, but long key has just been full of those huge Jack Kerbals. So it just depends what you're looking for. Um, I, it's hard for me to say which one is better. It's obviously been a quite a different experience for me. Um, and I really don't think I'm to the point to cast a, a judgment just from YouTube videos. It seems like the long key bridge is better. Um, if you can get into those yellow jacks, um, I know a lot of people have been getting them. And then lately it looks like the Kuberas and the muttons have been thick. That's why I really want to get down there. But this, uh, this wind 30 knot winds just make it. And it's, it's an East wind, which is basically parallel to the bridge. And I'm just not sure that that would be a pleasurable fishing experience. You know, it might be better to go to Marco Island where it seems like I can almost definitely get it, at least get us a, uh, a strike at a snook, you know? Yeah, no, that, that's tough. It, it, the wind can, it's not just the boaters who have trouble when it's, when it's windy, you know, and the land-based fishermen definitely fight it as well. So I guess I don't really have a definitive answer, but I will say seven miles <laughs> because of all my, uh, my childhood favorites. All right. Best place to catch snook with no boat. Um, I'll start out with this one on the East coast. Um, I will say piers and bridges are the best place to catch snook, but also the beach. Um, I, I think on the East coast, people think that snook are a lot harder to find than they are. Um, you know, the biggest thing is the time of the year. And as far as from my experience, the most of snook fishing I've done has been in late summer and fall. So in that time of the year, the snook are on the beach. Uh, right now, they're still kind of getting on the beach. There are some, um, like I said last week, I saw that big 40-incher out on the Dania Pier. Um, but 
in the fall when I was fishing the Daniel Pier, every single person on the pier was catching snook. Same with the Juno Pier, you know, those beach piers, but it's only in that time of the year. This time of year, I'm struggling to find snook myself. Um, I did get one off the beach in Miami, but I've fished a lot of other days. I think I missed another one or two, but they're definitely not thick right now. So um, I, I think that I'm gonna continue hitting the beach throughout the summer. Um, I know a buddy who just got a good one uh, off Juno Beach a couple weeks ago. So again, they're starting to show up on the beach, uh, but, but I think in a couple weeks, they'll be a lot thicker. Right now, they're probably in the passes, but I really don't know how to catch those snooks. So uh, I don't think I can offer too much uh, valuable advice in that department. But uh, thank you to Adriel's Adventures for that question. Tim, what about your neck of the woods? Yeah, over here, um, I would I would say it's not a, you know, I'm not giving out a secret spot. It's one of those fishing areas that's just highly productive and, and anyone really should be able to catch a snook uh, with a little bit of time, effort, and energy and kind of just learning, learning it. Um, Fort DeSoto over here, it's got amazing beaches. It's got great estuaries, mangrove shorelines, um, tons of access, grass flats for wading, plenty of parking, plenty of great spots over here. Um, you can really fish and catch snook every month out of the year. Right now, I would say, since we are in um, middle, middle of May, and, and I did just mention that I've been seeing those snooks starting to stage up on the beach, I would go to the North Beach of Fort DeSoto, and I would just wade out um, to where you see sand and, and just you know, target those shallow water areas and in between, you know, a foot to four feet of water. And you can throw lures, you can throw shrimp, you can throw white bait, you can throw pinfish. My preference would be pinfish. As I stated earlier, it's, it's my go-to snook bait on the beach is a, is a nice three inch pinfish, a 20 inch snook will eat it, a 40 inch snook will eat it. Use light line. Um, and don't, don't be afraid to, to throw in really shallow water, make those long casts down the beach. Um, they're not all always out in the channel, you know, throw it, throw it a hundred feet down the beach in a foot of water. The snook will be right there, ready to ambush. So uh, I, that's what I would recommend is somewhere in Fort DeSoto. And the people are generally pretty nice out there, um, can help you out if you're a new fisherman or fisherwoman. So uh, yeah, give it a shot if you want to catch a snook. All right, and our last question for today, can you make a rod reel arsenal? Um, I'm not sure exactly what he's meaning, but that's uh, Aaron B17. Um, we've already talked about our particular favorites, but uh, just for the sake of conversation and before we get into our fish of the week, just tell me what you've been using lately and uh, how it's been working out for you. Yeah, what, what I've been using really for probably about the past two years, that's been kind of my jack of all trades. I'll kind of just use this rod uh, for anything. I'll snook fish docks. I'll, I'll catch um, grouper or snapper on it offshore. Um, it, it's a, a seven foot six um, medium heavy rod with a pen slammer three, 3000 um, series three reel. Uh, it's got a lot of drag. It's got a great line capacity, super smooth. I got it spooled up with um, 20 pound spider wire, which is a seven carrier braid. It's, I forget the exact spider wire specification, but it's got, it's a seven strand. Um, different braids have different amount of strands. So 
It's got decent abrasion resistance because it has those seven strands. It's got no stretch. It casts silky smooth. Um, and it, and it, it, it's great for really everything. I, I pulled up grouper over 30 inches. I've caught tuna on it. I've caught mahi on it. I've caught big snook on it. Um, it's kind of, kind of, I have a couple of them, but that's my kind of go-to rod right now. Um, that, that's been really serving me well for about the past two years. Uh, how about you, Tanner? Uh, you know, I just stick with the regular pen, uh, 4,400, or I guess it's the 440, uh, spin fisher six is what I'm using now. The newest ones, um, they work pretty well. And I have the, actually the spin fisher five rod, um, as my rod, the one that came with it. I actually really like those pen combo rods. I, I don't know why, but it, it just has a nice, you know, fast action and it, it works really well um, for regular fishing. Um, I've also been using my ugly stick uh, tiger seven footer with my uh, Shimano, what is that? Bait runner 8,500 is kind of my bigger rod. So I've kind of been using those two in tandem lately and they've been working pretty well to the fish of the week another thing kind of expired inspired by my own posts i don't know if you guys recall last week but i caught some little amberjack um and there are actually four species of amberjack in florida's water um and we are going to talk about the one that people fish for the most the greater amberjack, Cereola dumarilli. Tim, what can you tell me about greater amberjacks? I'm a, I'm a big greater amberjack fan. Um, as far as pound for pound, how strong they are, it's crazy. Um, they, they go by the nickname, the reef donkey. And it is a, a very good name because they are strong. They fight, they buck as they fight. Um, I really like them. I think they're good table fare. Uh, some people kind of look down their nose at them. I, I really like them, uh, not just for smoking. Um, downside amberjack is their tail section can sometimes get wormy, especially on the bigger ones. But uh, I, I think they're a great fish, a super strong fish. If you want to go wear somebody out and just whoop them, get them on a couple big amberjack because they will just pull and put up a fight and they will be gassed by the end of the fight. Um, a couple tricky things with amberjack are, are, you know, you mentioned there's four species of them. Uh, they look really similar. These other species can look very similar. So identifying them can be somewhat tricky. Um, what I look for other than size, you know, if you catch a, a 50 pound AJ, it's not going to be a, you know, a lesser amberjack just because of the sheer size of the thing. But if they're, if they're um, on the smaller size to properly identify them, the amberjack have seven uh, dorsal fins up top and the jawbone on the side turns up just ever so slightly. So if you're having trouble um, identifying between uh, a greater and a lesser or banded rudderfish or any of these things, just keep that in mind. Um, there's a bunch of other tricks. Each, each species has their own trick for identifying, but um, one of my favorite um, offshore fish to catch. Unfortunately, the season over in this coast is really short. Um, it's May 1st to, to um, May 31st or 30th. I, I'm not sure they've, they've changed it. Um, and then with an optional season in uh, August. 
we don't always get that season in August if the quota has been met. So um, doesn't look like I'm going to have a chance to get out and get those amberjack this season just because of how windy it's been. But uh, really, really exciting fish to catch and, and definitely one of my favorites. Now, what can you tell me about it, Tanner? Well, I guess if they're in season right now, this is a well-timed uh, fish of the week. Um, I can tell you that they're, they're so much fun to catch. You know, we grew up catching a lot of them in Jacksonville. Um, I've caught them in Jacksonville and also in Louisiana. Uh, there's a lot of them out on those rigs. Um, but they're, like you said, I mean, you, you covered most of the basics. I've not caught a ton of the other species, but we will save them for another day. Um, we had a couple times in Jacksonville where there's something called a thermocline, where basically the cold water comes to the bottom of the reef and it pushes uh, some of those fish to the surface. So I think this happened two or three times when I was uh, high school, maybe early college. We pulled up to a reef and the water was just flush with amberjacks um, right under the boat, you know, two to five foot long amberjacks um, that we were just catching on top water and um, just basically catching amberjacks until our arms couldn't move anymore. So it, it, when you get them like that, I'm like, I haven't seen them like that in probably 10 years. But there's not much more exciting fishing than catching a 20-pound, 25-pound amberjack on a topwater plug and just seeing those fish erupt out of the water and then just go on a crazy. I think that day my dad was, you know, getting the engine running to getting us off the reef because you were too close to the reef. They would just cut you off lickety-split. Yeah, that, that's one of my favorite ways to, to, to catch the amberjack is get them up on the surface. Uh, what I'll do if, if I know I'm going to be targeting amberjack, you know, like if this upcoming weekend, if it was going to be super slick, I would spend a lot of time uh, netting pinfish. I would, I would want to go out with, I don't know, 20 dozen pinfish. I'd want my live ball to be full of the biggest pinfish I can find, get out to a wreck or a big ledge where I know the amberjack are hanging use a vertical jig or high-speed jig to bring them up a little bit and then just start unloading scoop after scoop of these pinfish. And these amberjack, like you said, will just go insane. And at that point, as they're chasing these pinfish, you can find pretty much find the amberjack you want and cast to it and, and just have them erupt. But just keeping those live chummers out there, I prefer pinfish because they're fast. The amberjack will love them and they're hardy baits. Um, that's just like, you can't beat it. And you never know. Sometimes a Kobe will come up with them or who the heck knows. It's just, it's one of those super exciting and, and awesome experiences. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for showing up today. Remember to like and subscribe on iTunes and YouTube also, even though this probably won't make it up to YouTube. And if you have any questions, the easiest way is Fish Facts TV on Instagram or uh, the actual podcast. Um, I can't even remember what it is, but nobody seems, everybody seems to follow me on Fish Facts TV. Or you can find Captain Tim on Instagram and send him a question because uh, your, your questions keep us filled with content. Yeah, shoot me a question. Uh, I've only gotten a couple. So uh, you can find me at Captain underscore strip on Instagram and uh, if, if y'all can do us a favor and just try to cut this wind down because it's uh, it's killing us. I got to get offshore. I'm I'm uh, I'm having trouble. I need to get out there soon.
All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, have a good one, Tim. We'll catch you next week. All right. Thanks, everybody.